1991, Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion, debuts number one, features this anthem, went to go at number two in uh, New Zealand. The song was about a love triangle. The song co-writer Izzy Stradlin was dating a woman whom Axel Rose happened to be in love with as well. But she broke it off with Izzy, and then she told Axel she doesn't want him. And that broke his heart, and he began to weep. And the words of comfort that she said to him was, don't cry. So, and you, Palm, you must say, you are looking, you are hating this, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just thinking about one thing, and that's the name, Guns and Roses. In this PC world, do we want guns in there? Maybe they should change the name of the band. Never thought of that. Always down to you to sort of put a new spin on things, eh, Palm, G? Gosh. And what about you? Has this made you feel a little bit better, Alan, oh, or not? No, no, oh, okay. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There you go. Sorry. Anyway, um, that is uh, on this day, uh, when they came out, uh, and people are saying, bless you, Alan, how comforting to know that an intelligent, highly functional man suffers from anxiety. Um, thank you for your thoughts, Alan. I thought it was just uh, a terrible secret that I struggled with. Uh, Alan is not alone. Uh, can you thank him for his courage this afternoon? Gosh, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Yep, that's, you that's cool. Thank you. You're on the panel, RNZ National. Lovely to be with you today. Palmji Pamar and Alan Blackman with me today. Frustration has grown as lawyers and whānau are being denied face-to-face prisoner visits. In fact, two-thirds of the country's prisoners are being denied these face-to-face visits. And now the Human Rights Commission They've weighed in and written to the Department of Corrections about it. Its Commissioner Paul Hunt said the issue also engages with international human rights treaties. Minister Calvin Davis said, well, it has to be done when it's safe. And right now, there are significant staffing issues in corrections. We had quite a response to this. Lawyers saying it is very hard to get into prison these days to see clients. And with us is Peter Hardy. He's from Jones Howden Lawyers in Matamata. Peter, uh, nice to have you on the programme. Oh, good to be here, Wallace. Great to have you on, Peter. And, and this, I mean, Mikey Sherman from One News did a bit of work on this story. So, look, face-to-face visits, as we understand, they've stopped for about a year for 5,000 prisoners. A year is a long time, Peter. What are you hearing, hearing from family members or those in prison? Well, it's, it's an incredibly frustrating time. A lot of the prisoners that aren't seeing people, their lawyers and and family members and friends, are those on remand. So many of those prisoners haven't actually been convicted of any offence. So it's extremely frustrating in a situation and a country where we we value the innocent until proven guilty. So 
it's very, very difficult. And, it, and for corrections to simply say it's a staffing issue really suggests that no one's taking the issue that seriously. Hey, Eight years a very long time. Yeah, well, Peter, have you been in a situation where uh, there is a, a client of yours on remand and you found it very, very hard to see that person? Well, just very recently, um, 12 days elapsed between the time that this guy was uh, placed in custody and we were able to see him. And that we actually ended up writing to the minister's office to facilitate a visit. So it wasn't until yeah, 12 days after he'd been placed in custody that we were able to see him. Goodness. And that would affect your preparation for trial? Well, absolutely. Well, just to take instructions and to um, work things out with them is incredibly difficult. Uh, you can't do these things necessarily over the phone as well as you can in person. And to go through a process of having to go to the minister's office to see a client who <laughs> is, has a right to see and confer with counsel is pretty poor. Before we go to the panel, uh, Peter, so what happened? You couldn't see your client. You decided to sort of send off an email to the minister and what the door just opened. Well, not just opened, but all of a sudden (laughs) progress was made. Um, This guy was remanded in custody, held in a police station over the weekend, and it wasn't until... um, the Monday following that, that we were told that he was actually had been transferred to a prison, um, and we weren't told precisely what prison. And it took a good couple of days to work out where he was and how we could contact him. Oh. Goodness, um, well, let's start with you, Alan. Well, <clears throat> surely, surely in this country, we must have a legal requirement for somebody to be able to see a lawyer within a given let's, time. Let's surely. start with that, Peter. You're a lawyer. Is there not a legal requirement for you to have access to your client in remand? Well, the Bill of Rights makes it very clear that a person's entitled to take counsel, mm-hmm. that they're entitled to have access to a lawyer, and that um, people accused of offences have the right to prepare for trial. That necessarily means that they must have access to the lawyers. But there's no time frame there's given. No time frame. Okay. Everything's got to be judged on a basis of reasonableness. And if someone is in custody, not convicted of an offence, they should have a right to see their lawyer when it suits them and when it suits the lawyer. And that should be facilitated. And so what's the situation with getting a meeting on Zoom? Um, is, it, is it easily um, done or is that also a big hassle? Because yeah, you've got well, a video links. You can go to the separate room, can't you? Well, I haven't, I haven't experienced Zoom meetings. The, the meetings I've had recently have been behind um, uh, glass in a, in a sort of booth, if you like, which is better because you see your client and your client can see you and you can show them things but the zoom i i haven't experienced that personally have you requested a zoom um no i i would prefer not to have meetings with my clients on zoom i would prefer to meet them personally Uh, i have spoken to clients on the phone but it's you need to be in a position to see them and to talk to them 
privately and securely. Right. Yeah. Do you side with the Human Rights Commission, Peter? They weighed in. They're saying, look, the issue would probably, probably engage with international human rights treaties. Have they got it right there? Well, I would have thought so, but forget about the international human rights treaties. We've got laws in this country that require and protect people who are um, accused of criminal offences. They're entitled to see lawyers. They're entitled to certain minimum rights. And the delays and the problems uh, getting to see prisoners and remand prisoners at that are are well recognised. Just recently, a district court judge sitting out of Rotorua uh, commented that the judiciary in Rotorua were well aware of the problems at certain prisons in the North Island and, uh, and said it was not good enough. And comments had been made on more than one occasion. All right, so not an isolated issue um, is becoming a bit of an issue there. So, Peter, can I just ask you, um, uh, if you were to take, you've been a a lawyer for decades now, if you you take yourself back 25 years, was it the same? No, no, it was was much easier and and you could essentially, I used to go to Waikaria on an afternoon and make my arrangements by a phone call and be there within an hour and a half and see two to three to four people without any real problems. But to be fair, some, some lawyers abused the access that was um, available to us <laughs> back right. then. Um, and it had to tighten up, I suppose. But we're now in a position where it's, you know, I think you're sunk in a Bermuda Triangle of bureaucracy to simply facilitate the efficient uh, dispatch of justice. Because all of these delays, and, you know, bottle other things up. You you should be able to see these people quickly at a time convenient to the lawyer so that we can deal with the matters at hand. Really good to have you on, Peter, uh, and we'll follow that uh, story about Kiora. That's Peter Hardy there, Jones, Howden, lawyers and Matamata. Nonetheless, it does sound... uh, Quite an interesting uh, case, doesn't it, uh, Alan? <coughs> Not, it, it doesn't sound right, does it? And, yeah, it's mm. and it, and it sounds like it could be solved with the application, a little bit of money, employ some more staff, and everything will be okay. Yeah. Now, uh, just some uh, news to hand: uh, their Michael Hill Jewelry, which has suffered from a spate of ram raids, has today announced it is stepping up security at its stores. Mm. Measures just announced include more security guards at stores, fog cannons and alarms, night patrols, and personal alarms for staff. The CEO, Daniel Bracken, says he's appalled by the attacks on the stores and particularly alarmed by daytime smash-and-grab raids in Hamilton and Albany recently and says that while work needs to be done on addressing social issues leading to the RAM raids, the company has to act to uh, keep its staff. So obviously uh, you're all very, very aware around the issues around RAM raids. Michael Hill announced today it is stepping up security quite significantly in uh, all its stores. Uh, interesting uh, text about Guns N' Roses. Did you know Axel <laughs> Rose is one of only a handful of commercially successful recording artists who has a vocal range of five octaves? Ooh. <coughs> I did not know that, Palmjeet. <laughs> no, no I've, I've got to say, I did, did, did not know Did you know that? that? No, no, no. Who's no. the other one? Who's the other singer that has oh, five octaves? God. There's one, um, isn't there? There's another, there's another one. Minnie Ripperton. Who? Minnie Ripperton. 
No. Who, who, Wallace. Who? Oh, you've got to go back and listen, <laughs> listen to your 70s soul. Okay, all Minnie, right. Minnie Ripperton. Yes, she can. She, that Loving You song. Loving You is yes. easy because you're beautiful. I love the song. Yeah. Five octaves. That's her. There you go. You can text us two one zero one. Sorry, New Zealand. You're on the <laughs> <laughs> you're on the panel. RNZ National fifteen to five. Already a big response to this. Tax cuts, yes. Tax cuts, no. It's been in the news here and internationally highlighted yesterday by the opening of the government books showing a smaller than expected deficit of $9.7 billion. Finance Minister Grant Robinson said that this was not the time to fritter that away on tax cuts. It also said there will not be any major tax reforms for the remainder of this government term. National Party leader Christopher Luxon has been an advocate for cutting taxes. He said government's coffers are awash with cash and it's time for some prudent tax relief. In the UK, a scrapping of the 45% tax rate caused market turmoil and sent the pound Tumbling. With us to discuss is Terry Belcher. He is an Auckland tax specialist. Terry, kia ora. Good to have you on. Kia ora, Wallace. Interesting topic this, isn't it? We've had more. Uh, the two big topics today have been whether glass uh, is a liquid. <laughs> <laughs> whether glass is a liquid and tax cuts. So people are presented with quite a clear choice, aren't they? Whether we should have ta- tax cuts or whether we shouldn't, Terry. Yes, which is um, where those tax cuts should happen mm. is, to me, the bigger question. Um, the, the issue has been building, and frankly, both parties have brought it on themselves because we have not been indexing thresholds to inflation. And that's not just income tax thresholds. I'm also talking about working for families, which is very important threshold as well. But that's not been inflation adjusted. So suddenly, um, this is all caught up with the parties, and it's a political oh. storm for both of them, uh, in that, coming at it from different angles. But they were both parties. We haven't adjusted income tax thresholds since 2010, and working oh. for family thresholds, which used to be index-linked under the key government, that stopped. And the last adjustment, and Labour hasn't caught up, the last adjustment was made for working for families in, uh, to the threshold, in uh, July 2018. Okay, so that's very interesting. So really a lack of tax reform over the last few years, neglecting the, uh, the, 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 the tax thresholds, uh, it's, it's brought us to this. Certainly, it's, it's played its part. Um, there's something that they call, we call fiscal creep, uh, fiscal drag or bracket creep, which is as salaries rise, income wages, people cross tax thresholds and they go into higher tax brackets. And that is quite a significant number, but you won't see uh, a clear data about that from the government's books. But at an estimate, it's about $500 million a year it's worth to yes. That's in there. They, they, don't, they don't specifically itemise it. Palmjeet, let's bring Palmjeet Pamaran. Yes, uh, I mean, bracket creep. I feel that that's really um, an uh, unfair kind of tax on people when they get a pay rise, a slight pay rise. On the other end, I was, um, I actually watched a little clip of uh, Finance Minister's um, media um, stand up. Uh, and I felt that he didn't completely rule out tax cuts. He uh, he said something about low income earners. Did you get that feeling as well? I think that's where they'll probably want to do something. And the, the signs of, of 
written for them. The work has actually been done for them by the Welfare Expert Advisory Group and the Tax Working Group. If you read what the material they provided, much of it, almost all of it, was directed towards the lower middle-income earners. Um, And they specifically were very clear that some ideas about like, for example, a general tax-free threshold, lifting thresholds quite significantly for everyone, they believe they should be much more targeted, Mm. um, the relief on that. And that's something I support, because for the reasons I've just explained um, there, that it falls heaviest. Our our tax thresholds, the critical one is around the $48,000 mark, where someone's earnings, your next dollar of earning jumps from being taxed at 17.5%, below 48000 to 30%. That's right. Okay, yeah. Right, Alan. Well, first up, I mean, if Christopher Luxon thinks that um, a $9 billion deficit means that you're awash with money, then I'd seriously question him. (laughs) Um, Well, there was uh, record um, tax uh, revenue this time, more than $100 billion. But still $9 billion in deficit, There is money. Oh, jeez. You can't tell him? Uh, (laughs) Well, okay, so I don't need a tax cut. You know, I'm doing very nicely, thank you very much. But it's the people who are doing it tough who need tax cuts. And seemingly, whatever happens to them also happens to the higher earners as well. If you do it on a percentage basis, if you, say, remove, I don't know, tax on the first whatever, you know, $20,000 of earning or something like that, then that applies to us as well. We don't need it. So if if you're going to target tax cuts, target it to the people that it's really, really going to benefit, the people who are doing it tough. Stay there, Terry. We'll come back to you. Do you want to respond to that, Palmji? Oh, actually, I mean, um, I believe that it is about fairness. So it's across the board. That is what, um, and uh, I'm a former national member of parliament. You would know um, what, you know, I stand for. Uh, we stand for less less tax and I stand for less tax. So if you work hard, you earn more. I think it doesn't mean that we should be punishing you. People should be rewarded for their the hard work and for their earnings. If they earn more, doesn't mean that we try to punish them. So across the board, so, yeah, I, I think that that's uh, how it should Terry, be. Terry, I just want to raise the issue of the tax cuts in the UK finally. The, I mean, the whole scenario was one of turmoil forcing the Bank of England, <laughs> you know, to, to intervene to prop up the bond market. Um, how did you view this as a tax specialist? Have you seen anything like this in recent years? That sort of order, counter-order, disorder, never seen anything like that. <laughs> it, it was, um, the, they were the biggest tax cuts in Britain since 1972, and that didn't well, uh, and, and that was another dash for growth and didn't end well. Um, the problem with those tax cuts is they were weighted very much at the top end, and uh, there was some sly stuff going on at the bottom end which was supposedly countering it but was actually clawing it back. Like, for example, coming back to how I began talking a moment ago, the British have a tax-free threshold, what they call a personal allowance, and uh, it's £12,570, and that is not the income in that bracket is not taxed at all. Mm. Those brackets were going to be frozen, so they weren't going to be changed at all, so that the weights of the tax cuts all went to the top. Now, tax is inherently political, and that's just the, the political storm that erupted was just simply too mm. much for that government right. to handle. Um, but also there's a real concern in the bond markets, or rather particularly... And is in the um, pension funds. They were really caught out short, and it was quite alarming what was happening there. Um, 
So they really got spooked. Quite unusual to see that because those guys yeah. were the beneficiaries. Very good, Terry. We must leave it there. But kia ora. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Terry Balsher there, uh, Auckland Attacks Specialist. Well, it's the final countdown to the weekend's local body elections, and we want to talk about how much big politics plays a part. The major parties back hundreds of local body candidates around the country. The Prime Minister has publicly endorsed both the Auckland and Wellington mayoral candidates, Ephesa Collins and Paul Eagle. The National Party seems to be steering clear. How much should local body candidates nail their colours to the mast? And does endorsement influence the way you vote? With us is Associate Professor at Massey University, Grant Duncan, political scientist. Kia ora, Grant. Kia ora, Wallace. Should we consider all local body politicians running as independents so voters can vote on policy and not political colours? Well, it's a really good question. Um, and I guess... I'd suggest that we go back and ask what our aim is here. And I, I'm supposing that what you really want is decisions on local matters mm. to be made as close to those affected as possible and not so much in the beehive or in downtown Wellington bureaucracies and that kind of thing. So a question to ask would be, would candidates who are independent from national-level political parties help to restore local democracy? And perhaps uh, through that, maybe even they can boost voter turnout because local voters would see independent candidates as more likely to be speaking for them and not for ministers in the beehive or for political parties. Um, So I guess that's kind of what you're driving at. That's right. Yeah. Um, But what can we do about it? Well, (laughs) you can't stop um, the national level political parties getting involved in local government. And in the end, if you want the opposite, if you want independent candidates, well, we need good quality independent candidates to come <laughs> forward. Bearing in mind, we've had some rather um, disruptive individuals wanting to get involved in local government and putting their names forward. So some independent candidates aren't necessarily of the best quality. Um, you might argue that if a candidate is connected with a, a local ticket or even a national level political party, that is at least some warranty that the person isn't necessary. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, Grant, we've got, we've got a panel here. Um, Parmjeet, I mean, you're former national. What do you think? Yeah, I actually have a different view. I'm thinking, like, if everybody goes independent, doesn't mean that they're going to attract more voters. I mean, the voter turnout would increase because still people are there, those who are independent candidates in both central and uh, local body elections. So I don't think that is the solution to get better voter turnout. And as far as political parties are concerned, endorsing candidates, it's like, uh, yep, their choice, democratic process. I mean, I have a different view. What what do you think? Because I don't think having everybody independent means the voter turnout all of a sudden is going to be better. Oh, look, I I agree. It's not necessarily a solution to the voter turnout issue because voter turnout is a complex, multi-factor issue. And you can't just sort of say that one thing like that will improve voter turnout. So I agree with that sceptical question there. Alan? Mm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, 
this has been going on for years and years and years. The point isn't being, it? does it does it sway your vote if uh, someone like Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern endorses the candidate she likes, or your John Banks, or your comedian, or do you want do you want your do you want your policies unfiltered? I think it probably would have a bit of an effect. I would say, but I mean, why don't they just come out and 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 say it? You know, we've got a Labour candidate for Auckland. You've got essentially a national candidate for Auckland. You know, and 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 why not just have them under those colours um, because you know you've got you've got the choice at a national level we all know who Labour supports who National supports etc etc so why not just give up the pretense well, and just have them standing under National Labour okay, values well, well, whatever Grant on that we talked to Terry about, about tax and looking across the UK are we moving in the direction of the UK where local body politics is almost well some would say mm. completely tribal well, yeah, we could be moving in that direction. I mean, there's a lot of kind of uh, smoke and mirrors anyway because some of the local tickets like CNR and City Vision are more or less linked with uh, Labour, National Green, etc., mm. one way or another. And so, yeah, I mean, there is some uh, validity in, in, in that idea. Let's just be out with it and, and, and make it clear uh, which are aligned with which uh, national-level political parties. And then voters would be able to decide. And the, the advantage from the voters' point of view is that they'd get a clearer uh, brand association, so to speak, and understand what sorts of values and politics are going on. The other thing in favour of the idea is that we really want central government and local government to be collaborating more effectively anyway. So doing that through um, the political parties and the elections may help in that way too. So there are arguments both ways, I think, Wallace. Nice to have you on the programme, Grant Cura. Very interesting stuff. That's uh, Dr Grant Duncan there, political scientist and associate professor at uh, Massey University. Very good. Uh, you don't have to tell me who you've voted for, of course. <laughs> have, you, have you voted? Are you going yes, to vote? Yes, I have. Yeah? I've done no, my bit. No, I haven't. And I, I have one question if we've got time. Mm -hmm. The hoardings are up, but the voting has started. But supposedly we have this one voting day and all the hoardings have to be down on that day. Same with the national elections as well. So why are the hoardings allowed to be up during the time that we are all actually voting? Because, you know, everyone votes early in the national election now. Well, Should have kept Grant do. on. Mm. Should have kept Grant on. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, is glass liquid? Oh, here we go. <laughs> glass is liquid. There old, we go. old windows have ripples in them, and over time, are thicker at the bottom and thin on the top. Thank you. Just there like water that is solid when frozen. Conversely, glass is soft when heated. Um, <laughs> Oh, it's a, it's a it's a an old question, and they keep on going. Oh, Alan. Hey, you've been both wonderful. Oh, thank, <laughs> thank you, by Alan Blackman and Alan Kiora. Thank you for your honesty. Thanks for your thoughts. Okay. I really appreciate it. Thanks, I'm Wallace Chapman. Back tomorrow. Checkpoint next. <laughs>